Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this fourth episode of the ISA podcast. Uh, this episode, we'll be talking about anti-blackness in the South Asian community and what we can do to combat it from all angles. While myself and the rest of the panelists here are certainly not experts in any way, shape, or form, we hope to highlight different ways people have contributed to the movement and what they've learned so far. Let's go in and introduce ourselves. I'm Drew. I'm a rising fourth year, and my pronoun is he, him, his. Hi, everyone. My name is Nikki Shaw, and I'm a rising fourth year as well. I'm the chair of Asian Leaders Council, and my pronouns are she and her. Hey, y'all. My name is Adina. I'm a rising third year, and my pronouns are she, hers. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Ishan. Uh, I'm a rising third year in the Batten School, and I go by he, him. Pronouns. Hey, guys. My name is Anisha, and I am a rising third year, and I use she, her, hers pronouns. Okay, well... With introductions out of the way, let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Uh, my first question for you guys is, what is the most meaningful thing you guys have learned uh, so far, whether it be in the pandemic or just outside, um, whether it's specific to the Black Lives Matter movement or just about anti-Blackness in general? Yeah, I can um, start it off. Um, you know, something that really, really stood out to me was a lot of the stories that white women were coming out with about what they got away with, um, this one woman in particular, she apparently left a store with thousands of dollars worth of diamonds around her or jewelry in general, like on her, and she was running away. And when the police stopped her, they just kind of laughed and they're like, oh, the youth, and they let her go. They didn't do any harm to her. And then you hear the stories of Black kids who, from a very young age, they will commit such smaller offenses and nothing ever really, like, you know, like, they get hurt. They'll, like, be physically abused or they'll get such strong sentences that really sets them up for, like, a lack of opportunity going forward. And that really hit me like a truck where I was just like, wow, like, this is a never-ending cycle that they go from from the day they're born. And, in, and that goes into the opportunities that they don't get going forward, like growing up, like what they don't get as minorities and as black individuals, which is really sad. And it really hit me pretty hard. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's really tough to hear about. Um, Does anyone else have any other thoughts? Yeah, one of the most meaningful things I've learned um, during quarantine, I guess, was that a part, one of the hugest parts of everyone's anti-racism journey is self-reflection so it's not enough to just you know say you're racist and sign the petitions and you know be vocal about it it's a lot of introspection that you have to take part in um and one of the hugest things that you can do for yourself is just educating yourself even more than you already think you are for me it was going out of my way to listen to more podcasts and read more books and follow more black creators so yeah yeah I agree with you so much um on the self-education thing um and specifically I'd say my biggest takeaway was realizing um that I've let I've believed for a long part of my life the many myths that society tells us and perhaps the biggest myth in the South Asian community specifically is that we are a product of our own hard work and talent. While that well, hard work and talent is obviously very important, the reason we have progressed to the place that we are is because 
society has afforded us, us privileges that unfortunately many groups have been excluded from. And I guess, yeah, going off what you're saying, it's very important that we educate ourselves so we start challenging these myths and look for a better way forward for all people. Yeah, like adding on to what Ishan was saying, um, I think it was really interesting to see um, how people were finally learning about the distinction between um, Black individuals, indigenous, indigenous individuals, and then people of color in general. Um, I think, like, especially for me, whenever I would talk about any type of group that wasn't white, I would automatically say people of color. And while that isn't necessarily incorrect, mm-hmm. it's also important to distinguish, like, the different um, opportunities and also prejudices that those groups face within the extremely large umbrella of people of color. Um, so I think, like, that was particularly interesting for me. And then kind of just adding on to what everyone said about um, kind of this, like, self, like, learning about kind of unlearning things that we've been taught and then also just going on this journey. Um, I think it's been really cool to learn about what I can do once I, like, read those books and once I listen to those things. So um, I think I've learned more about grassroots organizations and bail funds and just more, like, local direct action because it can get really overwhelming to be like okay now I know all of this what am I going to do with it um but I think it's been really cool to Mm -hmm. see what people have posted and what local things you can do in Charlottesville um or any place that you're from um so that's been really cool uh that's actually a a great transition into our our next topic here Anisha and that my next question I had for you guys is what have you guys uh personally done or what kind of actions have you guys taken and and also have you faced any roadblocks while, while taking these actions Yeah, most definitely. Um, So one of the things that I've been trying to really focus on is calling in to maybe the mayor or whoever, like different officials. I've been doing a lot of those sign the petitions and as well as sharing them. But honestly, I think one of the biggest things that I've been doing that has been the toughest for me has been talking to my parents as well as other relatives about the movement, why it's important, why I'm trying so hard to be um helpful and like trying to do things because they really didn't understand it and having to talk to mm-hmm. Indian parents like my parents are I want to say relatively speaking pretty modern mm-hmm. they believe that everyone should have equal rights but they when they see the riots and when they see stores like my parents both um own Dunkin Donuts and you know they came here and that's what made them who they are today is owning stores and so when they see saw stores being um you know like uh robbed and windows being broken it really hurt them and it hit a soft spot for them so it was really Mm. tough to get them to look past those incidents of the riots and really understand what is really going on um so I feel like for me personally in my life that's been one of the biggest things that I've been working on is really trying to get those conversations started and try to talk to older generations about what is really going on here and what the injustices these people are facing and what role we have in that situation. Uh, you know, uh, Nikki, it, it's, it's really interesting that you bring that up is because uh, the large, the bulk of this conversation that we're, we're going to have here today is about the conversations where we're having with our family. Uh, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and I'm really, I'm really glad you shared your thoughts on that. But uh, I'd also like to hear a little bit more about um, some of the other uh, actions that the rest of you guys are doing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with 
uh, pretty much everything Nikki said. You know, donate if you can, share petitions, uh, try and organize on a more local level, talk to your congressman and your representatives, um, talk to your parents. Um, but beyond that, I think a mistake some people make um, is thinking that it's just uh, the past generation, the our parents basically, that are the ones that can hold mm-hmm. racist views when in reality, there's still a lot of people in our own generation um, that are problematic. And when we're having these discussions, it's very important that we reach out to people that disagree with us, right? Because the people that agree with us are already doing all they can for the movement. But it's really important to try and have these difficult conversations and try and make people see your point of view and, yeah, basically understand why they should want to contribute to the movement the same way everyone else is, I guess. Yeah, kind of adding on to that, um, I think before when I used to have conversations about like any issue, um, I would come from the viewpoint of like, well, like why don't they think the way I do? Like, I, I could mm-hmm. not possibly understand like why someone would feel so like differently for me. Um, but I think in seeing um, different conversations that I've had with friends, with family, with loved ones, um, everyone's at varying levels of knowledge and comfort when it comes to having these conversations. So I think it's been really educational for me to learn um, like how to have these conversations and how to speak to someone who a lot of these, a lot of times like people just don't know um, so much about the topic. So it's hard for them to talk about it. But once, once you actually, once they educate themselves, like it's, it can actually have be a really productive conversation. So I think um, especially when it came to like talking to my parents or my um, even my siblings, um, I think I would like come off as aggressive because I just was like so excited to talk about this, but like not everyone is at the same level. So like it's important to realize um, like who you're talking to and how you can go about talking to them um, and being assertive with what you're trying to um, not prove, but what you're trying to like make them realize, but also um, understanding their position and where they're coming from is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anisha, that's a great point. Um, And with me, I've been looking towards the leadership positions I have at UVA so I can use the privilege I have there to reach a larger um, community. Uh, So, for example, with my sorority, I uh, drafted a list of demands with a committee I started um, that basically laid out um, the changes that we need to make um, for our chapter to be more equitable, inclusive, and diverse. And I'm glad that we did that and we presented it to our executive board because that opened up um, a really productive conversation that I don't think anyone really had the guts to talk about in my sorority. And it also allowed me to be a lot more reflective about Greek life at UVA. So I think using your leadership positions to also open up that discourse is really important too. Yeah, I love that. That's like a great way to enact like within the circles that you're in and like you can't change the world if you don't look at who you're talking to and like who you're working with and who you're doing various activities with so I think that's like really really awesome that you made that step because um like that's the first step to everything right and so it's important to have those uncomfortable conversations and talk to people who you interact with on a daily basis because oftentimes those are the most important people that you should talk to yeah for sure I totally agree And it also kind of alludes to like cancel culture, like 
rather than just like totally like going off on my executive board I took it as like a teachable moment and there were a lot of things that we both learned in that conversation and um, I think it'll enact a lot of change in the future and it also made the by POC members in my sorority a lot more comfortable talking about things that um, concern them in our chapter so yeah yeah with like topics as like emotional and um, I guess heated as these can be it can be very tempting to like go on full attack mode Um, but I think the best way to get people on uh, our side I guess is to always start with empathy and that sounds like exactly what you did so thanks yeah yeah um I think that that was actually my next question as well. And if you'd like to uh, expand a little bit more upon that, uh, Adina, my next question was um, like, how have you guys dealt with individuals or in Adina's case, uh, groups who of our age, who, who potentially don't agree with, with the movement, you know, um, and how have you maybe gotten them to see the other side or the other perspective? Yeah, for sure. So I wouldn't say that all my conversations have gotten people to see my perspective. But um, one thing that I've learned is that it's not necessarily that people feel a certain way because, okay, let me reword this. I think it's just people are not open to having these really tough conversations and haven't been informed in the way that we have like especially in this podcast so it's a matter of just having a really open conversation with someone making it a comfortable space to share your opinions and have that uh, discourse and also share the resources that you've been reading and ways that you've been able to educate yourself rather than Mm -hmm. just going like Ishan said like full attack mode I think once you start getting really defensive people do tend to retreat so uh, creating a comfortable space for people to learn and be able to grow is one thing that I've learned when talking to people my age, especially. That's, yeah. uh, that's fantastic to hear. But yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Nikki. No problem at all. Um, I was going to say, like, definitely summer thought process as Adina, like, with being more open to engaging the conversation than being defensive. But one other thing that I've seen has worked so well is basically putting that person taking their life and showing them like hey if you were black like this would have happened like um saying like okay how did you get to how did you go through high school like especially for Asians you know like with school Mm -hmm. it'd be like oh we tutors you know Pumon or SAT tutors or any sort of like extra prep um even our family members sometimes okay imagine you didn't have that all right now take another step imagine that um your family was going through this imagine you're living in a different town imagine now like you walk in and like on google if you search um unprofessional hairstyles and you see a bunch of black individuals say like your hair you walk in and the second you walk into that interview you know you already have one minus point because of the way you look like and then imagine would you have even gone into the college that you're in would you if you went to the college how what percentage of those individuals are black like when i do that um like I did this with myself um at the beginning of the movement and it was really really eye-opening and then I when I do this with other individuals they they're kind of astounded they're just like whoa I never realized that they're like that like they don't they very rarely end up where they really are right now 
Yeah, and I think um, that is also a really great way to um, also talk about other factors that can contribute to like where we are or like what school we go to, for example, like when we're talking about race, um, I think it's also been really interesting to talk about the intersection of class and um, especially like in the South Asian community, um, I think like class disparities are really big um, like factor when we talk about our experiences because on one hand, um, there's a lot of very privileged like stereotypes about um, South Asian people that really wouldn't apply to someone who is not upper class. And so um, I think that's, that's a really cool conversation mm -hmm. to have. And like Adina said, like making sure that you're creating an environment that's safe and um, is really, once you start to talk about race and you start to talk about class and you once you start to talk about religion and color and, and so many other factors, um, I think it puts into perspective a lot of the experiences that other people go through that the individual that you're talking to may not have even considered. Um, so that's really like cool to see, I think is, is one of the best things that's come out of this is just um, being able to like realize the intersection of everything. Um, and like with regards to dealing with individuals or just talking to people in general, the first example that came to mind is um, something like I had with myself where um, a lot of people were talking about prison abolition and um, the school, uh, the prison of pipeline, um, kind of this prison of pipeline, not what is it? Prison, prison school to prison, school to prison pipeline, prison to pipeline. Um, yeah, so I think that was really interesting because I knew of the pipeline, but it didn't to me that we could abolish prisons, and like that is, is a radical mm. idea for some people, but I think in my head, I can. people it's how are they going to want to abolish prison right so it's all about making those like baby steps towards whatever that end goal is everyone knows about the initial thing so how how could they possibly get to like the end goal so i think that was like a really big learning opportunity for me if that made any sense i kind of rambled <laughs> you're good yeah um one thing for me uh i guess when talking to people in my own age group is to try and I love talking so much but to try and listen um and see why they think what they think because oftentimes especially when people um are using faulty logic or just hold bad ideas once they start trying to defend themselves or explain it they kind of realize the error of their ways um I think one thing for like men specifically is that they're like oh you know it's just it's just dark humor it's just a joke Right. So in those cases, you can be like, OK, well, why is it funny? Like, explain the joke to me. And then when they, they start to explain <laughs> it, they realize uh, it's not very funny. As DJ Khaled would say, you played yourself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, well, so I, I like how, how much you guys shared here about um, what you've been doing to kind of uh, spread the word and get people informed here. But now I kind of want to shift the topic a little bit to what I had mentioned earlier to being the bulk of our conversation and um have you how mm -hmm. have you spoken to your family or, or family members about the the protests and the black lives matter movement and how's it gone what were their what were their reactions um so uh nikki you you spoke about that a little bit before with your parents so if you wanted to expand upon that a little bit yeah definitely um you know just to like start off it has been an uphill battle like it is really <laughs> tough um 
my parents are firm believers in equality for everyone, but you know, it's really tough to go past that and really understand that, hey, the U.S. looks like it is, but it's really not. You know, like, um, I think one of the most important things that I learned uh, when it comes to talking to immigrant parents is that there is a reason they came to the U.S. They came to the U.S. for opportunity. They came to get away from the chaos of India, the lack of structure. And when they see riots, they see exactly what they were trying to escape. They don't want that to come back. They want that stability. Um, and, you know, it's really hard as a first-generation kid, like, to understand, hey, like, why are they so taken aback by these riots? Like, they're fighting for their freedom. Like, you know, like, you guys care so much about opportunity. Like, shouldn't you guys agree? And, like, it's hard to see that they went through that process of moving to a new country to escape that. Um, so... Sorry. Um, so I think learning that I really was able to finally explain to them like, okay, we get that. Like, you know, like, but let's look at it the other side. You're going to look at the worst of the riots. Let's look at the worst of the police. Um, let's look at the worst hmm. that, the, that black individuals have to go through. And when I really sat them down and I showed them facts, I don't know if you guys have ever watched this, but the 13th on Netflix does a phenomenal job mm-hmm. at explaining mm-hmm. what has happened in the U.S., the history behind it. And it explains it in better terms than I ever could. Um, so I like I brought those facts and I brought them to my parents and that really helped. Um, it's still, you know, like, it's still tough for them to get over breaking into a store and stuff like that. But I think when you put into perspective, if you're going to look at the worst riot or look at the worst policeman, it really helped with them. It look at the worst situation that a black individual has to go through. It really helped. Like it's kind of just bringing the facts to them and then comparing it to some real life examples that tie to me that like my experiences um, with different types of individuals, whether it's with an Indian kid versus a black kid, which has happened to me uh, where I was mistreated by an Indian boy, but a black boy helped me, right? And for me, I didn't think of it like that. But when I told that to my parents, it hit them really differently. They're like, "Oh wow, you're you're joking, right? Like Indian kids are like our like our boys are so good." And it's like, no, that's not true, you know. Um, so I think really bringing that life apps like the life aspect as well as facts to the to the to the story, and also understanding what their background is, understand what their perspective is. And then it helps. Like then, mm-hmm. then you can somewhat change your words to get get it through to them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that was a that was super powerful. Powerful and, and making that personal connection, I think, is is uh, is so important. Um, Ishan, do, do you have anything to add on to that? Yeah. Um. So I relate so much on the whole uphill battle part. Um. I firmly believe ACAB. Um, and I don't know if I'll ever get my parents to believe um, something that radical, but I've been trying to, you know, push them towards seeing the police as possibly very, very flawed. Um, and I think the reason it's been so hard is because all of us ha- have had such, including myself, have had such positive experiences. I actually, it's funny, um, I, two days ago, I was uh, driving with my lights out, very smart of me, um, and got stopped. Um, the officer was like incredibly kind to me. He just took my license. He didn't eat or he took my license, ran it, gave me a warning, didn't even give me a ticket. And then he asked me if I had anything to drink. I said no. 
Um, and he didn't even like give me a breathalyzer or anything. He just took my word for it. And I'm like, wow. Like, I mean, if that's what you're going through your whole life, you're going to believe that cops are really good, upstanding, nice people. Um, but the fact of the reality is that's not the case for most people, for black people specifically. And I think um, one way to realize that is, of course, having conversations with people outside of our bubble. Because if you're only talking to Indian people about their experiences, you're not going to get this. Um, the other thing is, as Nikki said, I love that documentary too, The 13th. And just so many other resources and so many videos online of police and what they're doing. And I guess the third thing is reading a lot about history, um, whether that is the historical oppression of Black people, the actual roots of the police, um, our history, and who, who made it possible for Indians to even come to the U.S. and what kind of Indians were specifically selected. Um, spoiler alert, it was people that were already very rich <laughs> and educated. Um, so yeah, I guess that's all I have to say on that. Yeah, that uh, that privilege aspect that you brought up there about, um, mm -hmm. you know, not have, really having to worry about the cops, um, you know, doing anything when you're when you're stopped is 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 really important to mention. Um, and I think that that's really the biggest fear for for a lot of African American people is mm -hmm. being stopped by the cops. Um, Anisha, do you do you have anything to add on to how you've been talking with your parents? Yeah, um, I think one thing I've learned is it's really important sometimes like shut off the news and have an actual conversation um, because I think it can be really easy to get sucked into whatever news you're watching um, especially because in the past I think I've like watched the news with my parents and that's kind of been like a jumping off point for talking about different um, topics but I think especially like a lot of what we saw um, in terms of how the news was depicting the riots was really damaging to people's perceptions of the protests and like what it stood for. So I think um, that was really important is just kind of, I don't want to say like randomly bringing up a topic, but um, maybe stepping away from the TV and the radio and just kind of having like a one-on-one -on -one or two-on-one -on -one conversation has been really productive. Um, and I think what's been really interesting for me is um, I think what's more difficult for my parents um, to talk about is how we apply these injustices in India and how that affects the South Asian community. Because I think for me, um, it wasn't super hard to like talk about how um, Black people are oppressed in this country. But then when it came to talk about um, something like caste, that was really difficult. And so um, I think in a way, the conversations that we had about anti-blackness and how it manifests in the in this country um, were really useful to then use that as a jumping off point to talk about issues that specifically affected the South Asian community and vice versa, because it really helps to see both um, perspectives and examples and what how that can serve as a teaching moment for um, both communities, if that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, it, it's kind of interesting how you're, you're drawing that balance there between uh, your parents being super understanding um, about the, the BLM movements. Um, but then, you know, the, the conversation kind of shifting when it came to came to cast. And so uh, perhaps it, would you say it's like an issue of, of like perhaps the, the cast system part hitting a little bit too close to home or, or like, can you expand a little bit upon that? I think it's not so much the fact that it's hitting too close to home, but I think 
because we're in this country, there's the perception that caste doesn't affect us anymore. And that's, of course, a privileged perception in and of itself, because individuals of lower caste um, are constantly reminded whether that is caste discrimination in this country, which still happens. Um, like recently, I read an article about Cisco discriminating against their employees because of um, their last names, which kind of connected to their caste. Um, so like it still happens in this country. And I think that was something that I think they were like, well, yeah, we're like here and caste doesn't really matter anymore. So why are we having this conversation? If that makes any sense. Um, but I think it was like important to talk about how we benefit from caste still, even though we're not in India and um, how, for example, the police brutalize oppressed communities in India as well. And so pr police brutality isn't just something that happens here, right? Um, so I think it was more just about like realizing how everything is more interconnected than we believe it to be. And once you start to have those conversations, um, I think it became a little bit easier because um, once you see the connections, like it's, it's easy to understand like what's behind this oppression and like the ideas. And so um, once you unlearn those ideas, um, I think it can be easier, so yeah. Absolutely. That, that connection is, is vital there. Uh, Dina, do you have some to share about your experience with your parents? Yeah, of course. Um, I, I can agree with what everyone said. Having these conversations are really tough, but it is a matter of like bringing it to a human level with your parents. And I mean, there's nowhere, to, there's no way to teach someone empathy, but to teach someone what black people are experiencing every day in this country and how it isn't just a statistic, it's real lives that are at risk. Um, another thing is uh, just not being complicit in my household um, and my um, extended family. Um, if I do hear something that does come off as racist, I will say something and then I'll extend that into a larger conversation about, you know, why were they comfortable enough to say something like this and where does that internalized racism um, extend from? So, yeah, I agree with everyone with instigating conversations, but it's also really important to call out people and speak up, um, especially people in your in your household, because that's where it starts. Uh, so I wanted to touch off of like one thing you spoke about there. You spoke about the, the meaning of empathy there. Uh, and so this is kind of a, a on-the-spot question that I, I was going to ask you guys here. But um, I've seen that this, this BLM movement and, and just like the idea of, of Black Lives Mattering um, kind of become a political issue. And, and I don't know, what are your guys' thoughts on is this, is this a political issue that should be dividing people or, or should this just be a fundamentally human uh, connection that people should have? I 110% believe that this should be just a human rights thing. It shouldn't be political at all. You know, whether you're Republican or Democrat or independent, like end of the day, these people are human. They have these same rights to the privileges and resources and opportunity the rest of us do have. And this, I think it's the saddest part is that it has become a political item because right now in the U.S., if something becomes political, it's 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 becomes problem problematic because now it's like, oh, I'm a Democrat. 
So now I have to, or actually, I'll take that side back. But like, if I'm a Republican, oh, like I shouldn't follow them. Like, you know, like I am going to have to vote against them. It's like, no, you should have the ability to be like, I'm a Republican. I believe in human rights still. And I want, you know, like I, I think that black people have the same right to everything else the rest of us do. I mean, you, this this involves abortions and so many other hot topics. So I think that's like one of the saddest parts about this movement is that it became political. Um, it should have just been about human rights because it truly is. Yeah, I agree with Nikki that I guess you could classify it as a political issue just because that's what people are making it out to be. Um, at its base level, it really clearly is just a human rights issue. And whether you're on the left or whether you're on the right, you should support it. Um, but unfortunately, that isn't really the case. Um, I also want to touch on the fact that if you really are a Republican and you believe in small government, then even more so you should be on the side of BLM because you should not support police violating our rights. Amen, you Isha. <laughs> we will never see it that way. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's frankly disgusting that some people don't agree with the fact that Black Lives Matter and also the fact that individual lives are used as political pawns. Governments like control over the various aspects of our lives is just so horrifying. Um, so this movement in general has been really enlightening in terms of what what politicians and other people of power um really are um so like of course black lives matter and everyone should agree with that um but also i think it's interesting to see it become a political movement because um then i think sometimes the conversation comes about where um you start to realize like oh this is all connected schools funding um public transportation like higher education, healthcare, like all of this is connected. So, um, you know, this doesn't just stop with protests. This doesn't just stop with legislation. Um, it starts with the prison system. It starts with the fact that black mothers are not believed in hospitals and in healthcare systems, mm -hmm. and they're more likely to have higher inf infant mortality rates and um, death rates like for them specifically because their pain is, is, um, like minimized um so i think like it's really sad that it's a political movement um but it's also kind of enlightening in a way that everything is connected and once you kind of go down that hole it's hard to stop so everything is connected and everything sucks <laughs> <laughs> on that on that positive note <laughs> Um, as, as we start to, to wind down a little bit here, um, my, my next question I had for you guys is um, what is like one thing or if maybe not even one, multiple things that you'd want people to know about the movement or wish people were aware about? Uh, in essence, you know, what, what's one or one or, or two really important takeaways from from this podcast and, and the movement in general? Um. All right, I guess I could kind of start off. Uh, one of the biggest things that I want, I think really hits hard is, um, you know, growing up as a little kid, when I say little kid, I mean like five years old, six years old. One of the first things that what I've learned uh, from other individuals that black kids learn is how to speak to the police. And 
growing up when I was five or six, I was never taught that. I was never taught that when a police comes up to me, I keep my hands in front of me. I don't move them. I don't speak unless I'm spoken to. You know, like I was never told to react to the police in such a way. You know, like I was told to talk sweetly mm-hmm. and just go about it just you know like work with them but like also talk to them like if they like you can question like oh why have you been pulled over and i've been told that black individuals are told never ask that just do what you're told and when i heard that i was like innocent kids that don't even know what the situation like what is probably going on are told these things from such a young age um, and then the second thing kind of more on the statistics side is 25 percent of the world's population uh, world's population is in the U.S. Uh, the 25% of the world's prison population is in the U.S., which blows my mind. But not only that, within our prison system, Black males account for 34% of the total male pr- prison population. When, if you look at how many Black males actually make up the U.S. population, it is ridiculously lower percentage and I think that speaks volumes as to who is targeted who the laws are targeted at and what is happening and what's corrupt absolutely Mm -hmm. those stats are I mean astounding uh Ishan Adina yeah yeah um if I could go I guess the main thing I wish people would understand was that black people aren't asking to be greater than or to get free handouts um, over white people. They're simply, um, a, uh, they're, they're simply asking that they're treated with the same respect and dignity that white people get every single day. They're just asking to not be oppressed by a system that I would honestly call modern slavery, where you're criminalizing black children, whether that be in school through SROs, whether that is through over-policing them, locking them up um, over things like minor uh, marijuana charges or unpaid fees, instituting instituting systems like three strikes are out, where you can literally be institutionalized for three minor charges. And then, yeah, I guess, uh, basically, I want people to understand that systems of oppression exist against Black people, and that we will never be free until every single one of us are free. Because if the U.S. can do that to about 13% of the population, imagine what else they could do to groups that they decide they don't like. Yeah, Ishan, that was so well said. Um, Just jumping off of that, um, something that I want people to be more aware of, and you touched on this, is that, you know, it's a privilege to, I guess, omit yourself from the national dialogue that's happening right now like when people started posting that they were at the beach on their instagram like when everything was blowing up like that is a privilege and when people say like oh it doesn't concern me i'm not involved in it that's fundamentally false i feel like the black lives matter movement does concern everyone because all of our lives are intertwined and we can't tolerate oppressive systems that do encroach on the rights of our peers, our community members, our community leaders, people we work with, people that, um, you know, if we're going to be a doctor or a lawyer, an engineer, people that we're going to serve. So um, it definitely is a movement that does concern us and that everyone can relate to in that way. So 
yeah, that's one thing that I wish people learned about Black Lives Matter. Yeah, um, I think like you wrote that really well, Adina. It's just, I think like it's interesting to see um, some people where they're like, oh, I'm just not interested in politics or like this doesn't really like concern my future, whether that means like their career or their personal lives. But like, again, like all of this is connected, right? So regardless of what career field you end up going into, regardless of what, where you end up living, right? All of these things um, affect the communities around us. So um, it doesn't just stop with these past couple of months. It doesn't just stop at the election. Um, It goes much, much farther than that and much, much deeper than that. And so um, I think it's really important to talk about how it can affect all of us and also the privilege that we have as South South Asian individuals um, to not only talk about this conversation, but to also use our privilege to educate other people, right? Um, I think a lot of times we've seen, especially um, the South Asian community at UVA, um, a lot of people are complacent or even exhibit anti-Blackness. And so it's really important to call out those people, like Adina was saying earlier with her family, um, and then have those conversations because um, it starts with the with our communities, right? And so if we're able to um, talk about these ideas with the South Asian community, then that's like a starting point. And that's kind of why we wanted to start this conversation with the podcast and continue um, on to more conversations because it's really important to have. And, and it doesn't just stop with this podcast, right? So and it's always a learning process, I think. Um, it can be really intimidating to come into this big issue and see everything broken down, but we're all learning and um, it's important to just keep wanting to learn and keep wanting to educate people. 100%. And uh, Anisha is absolutely right in that it does not stop with this podcast. Uh, I mean, there's still a long battle to go, a long uphill battle even. And so my last, very last question for you guys here as we wrap up is, um, you guys are all obviously very well read, uh, very well understood about what's going on. So for people who may not be as well read or, or may not be as informed, um, what kind of uh, resources uh, or people have you guys found to be helpful to read or, or to watch on YouTube or something like that? Um, and so this is where you as a listener, if you want to learn more, would be taking notes. So um, who wants mm-hmm. to go first? Yeah, um, I think for me, it's been really cool to follow um, Ziana Bryant. Uh, she is a local activist in Charlottesville, and she is a rising second year at UVA. Um, I think it's really inspiring personally to see a, like a student um, enact all the change that she has and lead the movement um, as it goes. And so I think that's been really interesting because, um, again, like it can be really intimidating to follow these like big people who have these like enormous followings and I don't know, you kind of just get lost in it, but it's really cool to see local grassroots organizers and the work that they do. And I feel like it makes you feel more connected. And also it provides you with more opportunities to um, donate or volunteer or even just educate yourself. So she's a great person to follow. And also I think something that's really has been easy for me is to just consume more black content, whether that means, um, music, podcasts, books, movies, TV shows, documentaries. Um, it's really important to uplift voices and to expose yourself to a variety of perspectives. And so I think um, media especially is a really great way to like 
dive deep into the conversation. And then from there, of course, you can, um, I don't know, you can read and <laughs> the world's your oyster really with our resources. So we're really lucky to have it. And also taking classes in the African-American studies department at UVA is also a really great way. They are fantastic professors and um, great resources for education. And so I think that's another thing that um, a lot of people can do. Awesome. Um, yeah, so I, all right, so speaking from someone's perspective where I honestly was not that well-educated in these topics as well as in general in politics before maybe like the past eight months, six months, um, I really, or actually it's August already, so maybe like closer to a year now, but um, <laughs> yeah, these past few year, uh, months have just really flown by, but back to the point, um, I honestly, my social media, what I've realized, one of the key things to do is surround yourself by people who are well-educated, um, for example, Velas Anapurvu, like for me, he was the starting point for me where he would talk to me about these topics. He would push me to read new articles, push me to really follow up on what's happening. Um, so I think the first step is surrounding yourself with those people to use your social media for someone who's not used to reading news. Like I started getting to following people on social media who are super into politics or news outlets and getting to read updates that way. And then slowly I made my way into following different news networks um, right now, there is a website that's actually called blacklivesmatter.com, and they post updates or like, what does defund the police actually mean? So I keep up with that website. Um, there's honestly no particular person I follow up with or anything or follow in general, but I do typically take like five minutes of my day at least to just keep reading and then probably a lot more with social media and seeing everyone's posts and reading all the posts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree that um, social media is a great starting point. Just off the top of my head, um, there's a Charlottesville activist that uh, Anisha mentioned. There's literally an account, South Asians for mm, Black Lives, that talks about yeah. how South Asians can help us. Um, then there's also, you know, your local NAACP chapter. And just in general, you can look for local accounts. But I also want to emphasize that um, as productive as social media can be, I really encourage people to get off of it because it's very hard to explain what 400 years of systemic racism in a tweet, right? Um, in terms of like long form journalism, I love Vox. Yeah. Uh, I know you does too. Um, if you guys like podcasts, um, there's something called NPR Code Switch. Oh, that's so good. Right. That um, talks about race issues. But I think above anything, the best, I mean, Nikki already kind of said this, um, but the best resources are people and I think we should all take advantage of the fact that we go to UVA, which is full of tons of educated people. And it's also a very diverse school. And um, I mean, th there's a whole different conversation we can have about, you know, self-segregation. But I think it's so important that we actively seek out friendships and relationships with people that are of different ethnicities and backgrounds than us. And that we try and learn about their experiences um, through their firsthand accounts. You know, obviously, um, don't, that doesn't mean expect your one black friend to explain everything to you, um, but listen to him or her um, when they try and tell you about their life, I guess. Yeah, Ishan could not have said it better myself. It's one thing to 
educate yourself and post and be on social media but it's also really important to just listen and uh give black black people a voice um for me i went on the hashtag black voices um on tiktok and i just followed a bunch of creators and i've just been listening to them um and a uh, little self-promotion, um, me and a few uh, third-year council members started a website called To Be an Active Ally. And on there is like your starter toolkit for resources that you can listen to, watch, and read outside of social media. So if you want like a starter toolkit of like anything that you want to read or listen to, that is your website to go to. Okay. Well, yeah. And just just to add on to that real quick, um, we will be adding all of these resources in the description of the podcast in case um, you guys want to see that. And also, um, I reached out to Dr. Doubt, who's the Associate Director of the Woodson Institute of African American Studies at UVA. um, And um, she provided some resources. And also, we have resources from the Multicultural Student Center that you can also check out in terms of starting the conversation about anti-Blackness, continuing the conversation, and also connecting it to the South Asian community. So, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to add that. Oh, no, no problem. Um, I was going to say, you know, thank you so much so much for, for being on this podcast, uh, guys. And thank you to the listener for listening to this episode, episode four. And I want to take this moment to thank uh, Ishan, Adina, Nikki, and Anisha for contributing to this fantastic conversation. And as Anisha just said, if you'd like to learn more about the resources that they just mentioned uh, towards the very end here, we will include it in the description. And also if you would like uh, to learn about other resources that we found helpful to start and continue conversation, as well as take direct action against anti-blackness, please uh, continue to have those types of conversations. So thank you, uh, good night and stay safe everyone.